The Not Funny Guys present Why? Exploring the philosophy, rhetoric, and cultural impact of the MCU. I am your host, Dr. John, and I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Eric, who is also co-host on the main podcast with Not Funny Guys, along with our main host, Casey, um, who knows some, but not a lot about philosophy. No, I mean, no. no. (laughs) Rhetoric? Eh, Still no. Still no. All right. And about comic book culture, you know. Yeah, I got the movies. I got, got yeah, the movies. Exactly. <laughs> but that, folks, is exactly why he's here to talk to me. So this pod is an extension of our main podcast, The Not Funny Guys Presents Off the Reels, where we talk, explore the films and we talk about them. And here we're going to explore some comic background for some of the characters, but also we're going to talk about some ideas that stick out and have a little debate about it and some vigorous, fun, constructive debates. And But we're going to start by asking the question, why? So this is episode nine. And as we covered on the main pod this week, we're doing Captain America and Iron Man's dialogic conversation gets out of hand in Captain America Civil War. So for new characters, fight, fight, that, fight, fight, fight. yes, <laughs> for our new characters introducing the MCU, we have I have three for us this week. Of course, mm-hmm. we have Spider-Man, mm-hmm. one Peter Benjamin Parker who first appeared in the comic books in Amazing Fantasy number 15 in 1962. Um, right on the bat, Uncle Ben immediately died so that Spider-Man could climb and swing. That all happens in the first issue, folks. Mm-hmm. He was, of course, created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. Um, probably considered to be, like I think, one of the most popular superheroes ever created and one most relatable to kids because unlike most other superheroes, he was actually a teenager. Oh. So there's that. Now, additionally to this, now this is not her first appearance with us, but this is, I'm going to bring her up because she's now returning, mm-hmm. is one Sharon Carter, also known as Agent 13. Now, she was created by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and David Ayers, and she first appeared in Tales of Suspense, number 75, in 1966. She is and was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Interestingly, the ver- uh, there is a version of her that apparently appeared earlier in 1954 in Captain America's comics, and they kind of recreated and resurrected her in 1966. And since she has a connection to uh, and has been a love interest of Captain America in the comic books, that makes sense. Um, Her aunt was one Margaret Peggy Carter. Uh, Besides also being a love interest of Captain America, under the hypnotic suggestion of Dr. Faustus, she actually Mm -hmm. killed Captain America after he was arrested at the end of the Civil War series storyline. Well, that's right. Fun one. She was brainwashed. But yeah. Yeah. Also, a returning character um, who we have not introduced is General Thaddeus E. Thunderbolt Ross. What a name. Mm. He was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and he first appeared in Incredible Hulk number one with the Hulk um, in 1962. He has been the longtime, shall we say, nemesis of the Hulk from the get-go and was a reoccurring character in his uh, comic books for decades. Interestingly enough, in 2008, under the creative team of Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis, he eventually became the Red Hulk, who we think we might get to see. We don't know. There's rumors that that might happen coming soon. Stay tuned. (laughs) Yes. And of course, in the MCU, Ross and Carter are pretty close to their counterpoints, except at this point, we get to see Ross. Apparently, some reason they thought he'd make a great secretary of state, which for which I have no idea. (laughs) And of course, Spider-Man, we do get a little bit of a derivation, but where we don't necessarily get an origin story. But I'm I'm kind of okay with that. We already did it twice at this point in the the movies. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to. 
And I mean, obviously for us, it's only been what a couple months since we we explored the Spider-Man. But like, I, even in real time, it was only a few years. It felt like since like even Tobey Maguire had appeared. You know, I, yes, I, exactly. I feel like it was like you would have you were avoiding origin fatigue, right? Exactly. You know, and plus you weren't giving him yet his own Smartly, movie. You were simply well. dropping. Smartly. Yeah, you were dropping yeah. him into an already established time frame. And mm-hmm. since it's Spider-Man, we kind of don't need an origin story. I think at this point, everybody knows Spider-Man's origin story to some degree. And even if there yeah. is a change in it, we don't necessarily have to have them retell it to us. We kind of get it. Yes, a radioactive spider bit him. Got it. <laughs> the only thing we don't know, of course, and will never be answered is, was there ever an Uncle Ben in this universe? Mm. Thoughts on that one? What I, do you think? I, n- I don't know. That's a it's good a, question. I know. Like, it's weird. It's... They never address it. Yeah, and and it's and May could, who gives him the speech. Yeah, she could easily be a single aunt, you know, just living the, her best life. Who takes in uh, Peter at when when his parents die or disappear or whatever disappear, it is in this one? Yeah. You know, we don't know. Again, are no longer around. You know, exactly. Yeah, I, I said, ooh, that's a good question. I, <laughs> I, I kind of want there to not be an Uncle Ben now. Like I, I kind of do too, actually, because they've they've given her all of the Uncle Ben. From my movie knowledge, all of the Uncle Ben moments, right? They actually so there, have. There is no need for an Uncle Ben based on how I know Uncle Ben and his arc, if you will, plays out. I have to say, I think Marissa Tomei's um, Aunt May is probably the one Aunt May with the most agency in the movies. Mm-hmm. I think they've given her the most agency and, and empowerment as a female character. So I do enjoy oh, that. Agreed. And agreed. Marissa Tomei is just fantastic. I'm going to well, miss that she it? won't be around. It was it was uh oh. Jamie. Um, no, 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 it's bad. We're blanking. Oh blanking. yeah, we're, we're oh, watching no. so many of these folks. <laughs> the, the aunt, the who are the actress who played the Aunt May and the Tobey Maguire one? She's still around. In fact, she's yeah. been seen. She's like ninety now, and she's been out at the SAG after strikes. Um, yeah, I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna get in a lot of trouble for this. It's Sally Fields. Hmm. Is, that's it. It is Sally Field. Yeah. Yes. And and I should know that because she was in Steel Magnolias, which, that, by the yeah. way, folks, was filmed in my hometown. So if you can figure that out, you know where I was born. And technically, you know, you know the, the same hometown. So many people Casey can figure I, that out. That's a well-known I know. fact. And, <laughs> and Casey grew up partly there, too. So we went to high school together. So, yeah, that doesn't really help you. You can't find me. <laughs> I'm not living there now. But, yeah, that yeah, Sally Fields. There it is. I'm not telling I you. I thought she was good. Anything. I thought she was. I don't have anything against any of the other Aunt Mays. Let's just put that out there on the table. No, no. I just happen to think that in the case of this one, I particularly like the interpretation. And of well, course, we're not done with her. We still get to talk about her in the future. So what's funny, I mean, I, not to go off on a tangent here, but yeah. Spider-Man is getting better and better with each iteration. Right. I oh, mean, yeah. I don't know that it could reiterate again without Tom Holland yet. Like he yet. looks the youngest. That's I actually know, the thing he is pulls too. it off. Um, he was like, like 20. You know, he was like 20 when the first movie was made. Yeah. Well, but to the point of the Aunt May yeah. stuff, right? Like the Aunt May and Tobey Maguire was super weepy kind of melodramatic Aunt May, which fit Tobey Maguire's sort of weepy, super melodramatic, you know, Spider-Man. And Mm -hmm. so it's been interesting to kind of see how much the Aunt May kind of reflects. I think maybe the, maybe the Andrew Garfield has kind of the least cohesive of casts. And Mm -hmm. that's why it ultimately kind of, that's why the second of, of his too, I guess, uh, really showed off how bad things were because it was such an, an issue of so many people working in their own movie, right? Um, Maybe. 
I think you're on to something there with that idea that there might be um, some sort of um, reflective element of mirroring each other, the Aunt May with Peter mm-hmm. Parker. I think that's really good because, unfortunately, with Uncle Ben, he doesn't get to stick around long enough to be. Right. <laughs> Oops, right. sorry, Uncle Ben. <laughs> and that's sorry. why Marissa Tomei, she has the most energy. Um, she's both supportive yet naive, right? So we get kind of like this this love and care that we expect from Aunt May, but at the same time, we get the blind eye that makes spider-man's adventures all the more fun right let's put a pin in this because i okay. think we're gonna we're gonna need to return to this on the main pod we get spider-man homecoming we on the main pod we need to yeah, bring this bring up and talk of that yeah because yeah, we need to talk more about that so let's move on here so having all said that noting the comic book stuff and then bringing us into the mcu let's talk about the topic i want to put us under discussion today and what I want to talk about is something called a dialogic conversation. This was a, a theory of the dialogic was postulated by Mikhail Bakhtin, um, something I studied in my rhetorical theory stuff. But here is what a, rhetor- a, a dialogic conversation is. It's a type of conversation where the participants engage in a mutual and a respectful exchange of ideas and perspectives. Mm-hmm. It places emphasis on open mindedness, active listening and a willingness to learn from one another. In a dialogic conversation, there is a recognition that both parties have valuable insights to contribute, and the goal is to understand each other better and explore shared understanding and solutions. Okay. It differs from a debate or argument because it focuses on collaboration and finding common ground rather than trying to prove one's point or win at the conversation. In fact, what we do here and on the other pod is very much in the spirit of a dialogic conversation. You have a different perspective. I have a different perspective. Casey has a different perspective. We're not there to score points or win an argument. We're there to share our ideas, create a greater mutual understanding that hopefully our audience appreciates. And we do the I'm same thing. I'm there to win. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I know. That's why I, I, I got to tell Keith, Casey's got to stop asking about your trivia wins because I'm like, stop, <laughs> stop inspiring his competitiveness. Oh, it needs no inspiration. It's there. It's burning. (laughs) So here's what I want to postulate in relationship to the film Civil War. At what point and to what degree are we witnessing the breakdown of a dialogic conversation between Captain America and Iron Man that really undercuts their relationship? Because if we take this idea that it's a conversation engagement, they've been in a dialogic conversation ever since Avengers. Mm-hmm. And in this film, we we sort of find um, a turning point in this situation where we skew away from a dialogic conversation and we move more towards a full-blown argument. So I want to talk about where we think the dialogic conversation is still going on. Where do we think it ends and where do we, you know, where do, where do we skew towards, towards the end? I know the exact line where it ends. Oh, really? Good. Go, go, go for it. You you want me to say it now? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. All right. I think it ends when, uh, when Tony Stark says, sometimes I just want to punch you in your pretty little face because they're having a discussion. Mm -hmm. They're presenting points up until that point. And then that is simply, I don't like you, right? That is, that is a, that is an argument. That is a statement that there really is no response to. It's meant to throw cap, you know, back on his heels a bit. um, Mm -hmm. And to, to kind of, you know, it's a little bit of chest pumping by Tony Stark in in a way, even and threats, even though I think, uh, well, I mean, we saw, we'll get we saw the fight you know yeah neither one wins in my opinion um but to that end you have this kind of that's the moment in my opinion where 
you know, as Captain America, he would have to realize that there's a different strategy being pursued by by Tony Stark, right? Well, Steve and Tony are are at that point something clicks. That whole scene when after yeah, he's been yeah. arrested and he's in the detention facility in Berlin and they're in that conference room talking, you're right. That is the moment when it all breaks down. Right. Because and the conversation after is accusatory after that. Yeah. And it's like it's Captain no longer, America has that moment. Yeah. Captain America has that moment where he still thinks they're having a dialogic conversation. Right. And Tony then pulls the rug out and says, no, I'm tired of this. We're I'm not getting anywhere. And he decides he's going to put his weight down, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, put his foot down, put his weight down because he sees himself as being in the right. And he lets that take over the conversation at that point, because everything up until then had been, I mean, and yeah. interestingly enough, they, in a sense, do pick up their dialogic conversation in Endgame. They re-engage a little bit um, near the end, because if you think about the way that these two characters have influenced each other, because if you go back to Avengers and you think about Captain America, mm-hmm. he is sort of like, you know, using that. What is that? It's not, the, it's not Loki's line, is it? Or is it Loki's line? No, it is Loki's line. Uh, God's righteous man. He calls Captain America like, you know, like god's righteous soldier or something like that there's a line i think something i think it's loki um and he's Sounds basically like loki line. he's characterizing captain america as this sort of almost symbol symbolic um artifact of something some ideal per- perfection or something per- yeah. and, and you know who the american stands for, way right? yeah he stands <laughs> for truth justice the american way sorry superman but yeah. you know cap's got some competition here so yeah he has that element and then tony is far more presented as kind of a little bit more of a selfish where cult cap is kind of ultra ultra altruistic and yet over the course of even the avengers there's an engagement between them that where they slowly kind of work into a a where a part where they're influencing each other you know, and particularly, I think it goes mainly towards Iron Man in that one. But over time, they both have a, an impact on each other where they sort of bring each other. I mean, because ultimately at the end of their story in Endgame, spoiler, folks, um, Captain America says he's following Tony's advice and getting a life. And he got a life, you know, mm-hmm. which is what Tony was always telling me. And Tony did the ultimate sacrifice move and fell on the hand grenade by snapping the gauntlet, Yeah, you know, by the end of their journey the influence passing between them and the learning they've, they've shared have in many ways improved both people and made them less of a caricature and more rounded out their lives in a way. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, about the, the jump ahead to the end game stuff and kind yeah, of, yeah, well, I want to round out that I want to round out the dialogic conversation. We can come back to the breaking point again. Well, too. I mean, I think, well, I think the dialogic conversation, I think needs to pick back up with, you know the the revelations about bucky at the end because True. there's a moment of back and forth conversation of both sides trying to have a rational moment mm-hmm. <laughs> where tony says you know step aside right or something to that extent i think mm-hmm. but basically says i'm i'm it's like let me try this or how or you did you know right and yes like, yeah kind of, uh, and, tony confronts him yeah so i forget all the stuff but ultimately it, it goes sour but i feel like up until then, there has been a kind of constant dialogue, right? It, through the background, at least through letters, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, of this kind of debate of the of the accords, right? And, and well, whether or not they should happen. Think about and this. So that's point. hard to say. Like the turning point was shut everything off per se. It just kind of changed the approach to it, right? Well, Tony's influence is, you know, or Cap's influence is still in Tony when he goes to the raft. 
and yeah. and double and sort of dupes Ross a little bit and blinds out his thing in order to get Sam to talk to him. Mm-hmm. And then he plays funny games with Ross because he doesn't trust Ross. He's still actually engaged with Captain America a little bit there too, even though there's some strain yeah. in it, obviously. There's still an impact because I think the the thing we have to keep in mind about this kind of conversation is that even if there is a breakdown, the influence passing between the two figures have, you know, uh, still have resonance because Cap even makes a point later on when Spider-Man says, Tony thinks you're wrong. He says he might be right. He's yeah. even he's even willing to concede that though he is acting what he feels is right. He's still engaged in some part of his mind with wrestling with the idea that he has a point. I'm still kind of in taking information and then. Ultimately, when we get to the very end of the film where Cap breaks them out, but he sends Tony a note and a phone. Mm-hmm. He's saying, look, I'm still willing to engage, sure. you know, well, I mean, and, but Cap- of course, Tony never takes it up, obviously. Until we until, right? yeah. well, actually, was it yeah. even him? Well, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. Wasn't it Banner who called? Maybe. I think it was Banner who made the phone call. Because we'll he's find the out, one who we'll find yeah, out soon we'll find enough. Out. It's we'll coming up. Like, Wars, folks. Yeah. It's crazy that it's coming up so soon. But I know. Um, no, I think like no, I, I think uh, Captain America <clears throat> Ramble Ramble. Uh I've literally lost my train of thought. Like it's okay. just gone. Like, sorry. Um But I'm just saying he leaves the door open in a lot of ways. At the end of um, Civil War to like re-engage with Tony. You know, he says, I, I, if you need me, I'll be there, even though he's basically going on the run after breaking out Sam and whoever else, I guess Wanda, because right. uh, obviously we know that Hawkeye and or we'll find out that Hawkeye and Ant-Man took plea deals to sort of turn themselves, I guess, either turn themselves back in and cut a deal to be under house arrest and take a punishment or what. So, well, could I? Could I ask a question? Because this sure. kind of plays on. I remember what I was going to ask, which was about um, emotional IQ, right? Mm-hmm. To me, there's there's an obvious difference in the emotional IQs of Captain America or Steve Rogers and Tony Stark um, mm-hmm. in these in these movies. To your point, you know that that Captain America said maybe maybe he's right. Maybe I don't know know the right thing. Mm-hmm. Tony's probably not saying that, right? True to himself. Um, to the point that he did reach out and say, "Call me if you ever need me." Tony's not doing that. He's hunting He's him. He's sticking it to him by exactly. being the bigger man. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Cap! You ruin it for everybody. It's like you're the I'm guy not who's like, he's doing you know what it is? You know what? It, no, you know what it is? This is this is what Cap in a, in a darker universe. This is or a like more cynical universe. This is what Captain America is. He's that friend that when you do something nice for somebody else, he has to upstage you. And do something nicer. <laughs> and you're like, you're just sitting there going, I hate that. I hate him. 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 No, I'm just saying he's not that petty. Yeah, you're but you're right. right. But, the, the, I, but that's what I imagine Tony. But also, I think the interesting thing about Tony, and one of the reasons I think he gets so disconnected at the end in particular, is that he is um, basically reliving trauma of his mm-hmm. of his mother and father dying. And sure. he also has in a dark association of Cap he also projects onto cap a sense that cap is like his dad or brings out like parts of his dad because his dad, he has a jealousy. You know what cap is cap is the older brother that Tony thought he could never live up to. So let me ask this is Tony Stark wrong for his reactions is, is the fight. Was it inevitable? Right? Because they're both in the right in the moment. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Are they? I who's, think Cap's more in the. I think Cap's more in the right at the moment at the end, mainly because he's movie. he actively <laughs> well. It's but he's actively trying to like he actively tries to just deactivate Tony. He's also not seeking to engage this, but he's also not allowing going to allow Tony to basically. He's strangely enough, he's doing for Tony what Black Panther does for Zemo. It just happens to be more difficult. He does not let him give in mm, to his hate. I like that, actually. In the way that Black Panther makes that active choice to not let his vengeance consume him, and then he refuses to let Zemo escape justice and, in a sense, escape his you know own sense of vengeance or the consequences. Tony is kind of doing, you know, in the same situation where he's trying to kill Bucky and Cap will not let him. Cap right. is, in a sense, thinking ahead. He's acting like Jiminy Cricket in a yeah, way, but no, Jiminy yeah. Cricket and Pinocchio, if they had a fist fight. And they were equal size. You know? you know, it's like he's being his conscience in a sense. But you know, it's not to say that Cap is in the is a hundred percent right, but in that moment, he is in a sense realizing that there are right things to do and the right thing to do and the thing he's putting the most, you know, he's actually thinking a little bit deontological and a little bit utilitarian at the same point because he's acting in the right means, thinking about the long-term consequences. Because Tony obviously is not. He has emotionally, in a sense, disconnected in a way because of the trauma that has sort of the pure yeah, anger I mean, yeah. that's taken over. I mean, they, he killed his mom, you know? Yeah. He and says. when he and, and when he when he yells at him, too, he says to him, you know, my father made that shield for you. It doesn't belong to you. What does Cap do? He just drops it and walks off. Mm-hmm. You know, what he, you know, what he's doing there. He's doing the Spider-Man bit. He's doing, the, you know, where Tony says, if you can't. If you don't, if you can't do this without the suit, then you don't need the suit and homecoming. Right. We'll get to that. I just watched it. So <laughs> and the, the whole thing is, if, you, if you're nothing without the suit, then you're just nothing, basically. And so Cap is like, well, the shield, just the shield, you know, mm, right. Of course, we'll circle this. back to that, of course, in Endgame and everything. But um, I just think it's like interesting the way he just is willing to drop that. But there's again, I don't think I think really that they are the two focal points, mainly for the entire phase one, two and three particularly starting at the end of phase one and all the way through phase three, they are the main focal point on which a lot of the, everything that goes on um, revolves. And what sets up here in phase three with this opening film is a lot of individualized division. Everybody's kind of scattered and we start to see everybody scattered a bit, you and, know, and what we saw in Avengers one and two were both kind of this cooperative you mm-hmm. know, fight between the two of them for for power of the group right who's who's the leader of the avengers kind of was being debated and now like well, yeah 2. 5 a... is really the 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 explosion of that well like in age of ultron when um wasn't maria hill or whoever says boss and he says no i'm not the boss he is i just pay for everything it's like he adopted kind of like a humorous passive aggressiveness yeah. Yeah, just exactly. a little bit like it, everything's mine, but he runs it. Yeah. Or, you know, type thing. Yeah. That kind no, of thing. Yeah. Everything's bit. pet. And that's what I mean. There's there's fun, jokey jabs that we all like laughed at until it got serious. Right. It until kind someone of spoke lost to, an eye. It kind of like spoke <laughs> to a little bit of an underlying tension there that oh, didn't yeah. really ever go away. And I mean, it was there in number one and then it was like they moved through it. And then in number two, it was there, but it was like in an unequal tension. And then, of course, with Civil War, it just snapped mm-hmm. in a sense. And, and I'll make a prediction. I already know, okay. right? Because I've seen them that they <laughs> don't cross paths in Infinity War. No, they don't. But 
they will come together in game. And it yes. is my bet that now that we've seen this amount of the arc of the two of them, they will learn to co-lead and learn from each other. And it's like I, they, it's I like haven't they form seen a triumvirate. it, but I have seen it, you know? So well, it's they, like, they, I need it's to like remember. They form a, the, at the end, it was like they formed a triumvirate with, um, with Thor. Well, that's like, because they were also know, the original three. I think there yeah, was, it was like they kind of they, they kind yeah. of they kind of sort of brought some fan service, together on your right? bridge. Is, yeah, that movie is half fan service, but it was there, you know what it is? It's, <laughs> the, it's their version of the Trinity, and you know, in DC, it's Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. and in Marvel, it's Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man. In the MCU, at least, and at least in the MCU, yes, you're right. So that's good. So, uh, any final thoughts? What do we think? No, I mean, I think. I mean, I love the movie. I think I already talked about that on yeah. the pod. And yeah. so see the other me, pod folks. There'll yeah, be a link in the description please. for this one, just in case. And, and I think it's just, it's an interesting idea to see that these two characters, especially collide like this, both. I mean, obviously physically it was entertaining, but like for them to have this sort of ideological debate, you know, and have this kind of where the debate can turn as we mentioned and things like that. I, I don't know that we've seen that, in anyone else or since um the two of them and, and i know they have a complex maybe, relationship i think that was important i mean and, and i you think know, that's it, needed both of them are morally right in a lot of ways but both of them neither of them they are not ethically similar <laughs> no true and here's my final thoughts i think building off what you just said i think this might be some of the glue that phase four has mm-hmm. been missing mm-hmm. is this kind of interconnectedness of these two very different characters having this dialogic conversation right. that is sort of circling around this uh, as a greater issue to these, this smaller, these individual movies. I think maybe that's something that we are missing that we need back. Cause that might be some of the, like the magic sauce or the special sauce yeah. that was maybe making things really jive in connections with audiences. So that's something to keep in mind. And we'll, we'll probably come back around because there's always things like identification and other concepts we can talk about that are um, connective to some of this that we might revisit. But I think that's worth noting there. Cause I think you kind of, you're kind of hitting on something that I think was very important to phase one through three. And I think maybe, you know, just saying this, if I don't think Kevin Feige is listening, but if you are, <laughs> first of all, tell um, Bob Iger to end the strike and pay the writers and actors. Second of all, because I know he has the clout. Second of all, think about this, what we've just been talking about as a <laughs> possible one way of, listener. <laughs> exactly. We know you're using a VPN. It's OK. <laughs> just let us know. You know, we will keep your name secret. If you want to just DM us on the back end or email <laughs> us and say, look, let's keep this confidential. We can play a secret. We'll just ask for some things in return. That's OK. We can play a little pr- quick pro quo <laughs> under the table. It's no problem. No problem. <laughs> All right. So, um. Let us know what you guys think. What are your thoughts yeah. on this? Tell us. We want yeah. to hear from you. So you can reach us on email at notfunnyguys.offthereels at gmail.com. You can hit us on up on Instagram at not underscore funny underscore guys underscore presents and on Twitter at notfunnyguyspod. Also, we're over on Blue Sky, which I think we're the not funny guys over there. Um, I keep forgetting. So I need to write that in my notes. Sorry, Casey. All right. So until next time, folks, stay strange and keep asking questions. Later, folks. Later.